Hi, welcome to Horizon Community Church's online service. I'm Darby and we are so excited that you are here with us today. One of our core values is that we are people driven. That means that we value people over programs. And because of that, we wanna hear from you. We wanna know your favorite place to listen to music, tune into a podcast, or even listen to an online service. Whether that's as you're getting ready, on your way to work, at the gym, or even laying in a hammock outside chilling. You can use hashtag hope on the horizon or email us at connect at horizonphilly.com to win some horizon swag. Up next, you're gonna hear from Alex as he continues in the more series on how to live an abundant life. After that, you can join us as we worship the Lord together. Every day we wake up, we drink our coffee, we go into work, we eat our meals, and then we start the whole process over again. Sometimes moments seem to last a lifetime. Other times, moments fly past us so quickly. Most of us live a predictable routine far below the expectation of an abundant life. In John 10.10, Jesus said that he came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Tree houses. What comes to your mind when I say the word tree house? For some of you, you might think about a tire swing you enjoyed when you were a kid, or maybe having the neighbors over to play in your backyard. Some of you might even think of a high-end tree house where you can go and spend the weekend in these luxury tree houses in the woods or up on a mountaintop. But for me, when I hear the word tree house, I immediately think of a bloody nose. When I was about nine or 10, I had a tree house in my backyard. It was about 10 feet high. Uh, my dad built it. My dad's a great dad, I love him. Uh, but he didn't always finish the projects that he started. And so the tree house had walls on two sides and then two sides were completely open, no railing, no walls. And um, being a boy, I decided I need to jump off this tree house just to prove to myself that I could. And so I went over to the edge, I jumped off, and as I was coming down, I realized, wow, that was a lot higher than I thought it was. I hit the ground hard, fell forward, put my hands out to stop myself, didn't stop myself and plowed my nose right into the ground. And my nose started bleeding. And this is where a girl would have said, that was a stupid idea. I need to go inside and get cleaned up. Being a boy, I was like, I need to do that again and see if I can do it better. And so I climbed back up the ladder. I went back to the treehouse, jumped off again, fell again, fell forward, fell forward too hard, couldn't stop myself with my hands and hit my nose even harder. And it was really bleeding at that point. So well, you might have a very positive image that comes into your mind when you hear the word treehouse. For me, it's a very negative one. I think of a bloody nose. And we all end up flavoring words with our personal experiences and memories. We begin to self-impose expectations based on what we've experienced on words sometimes even words in the Bible. Now, I have an undergraduate degree in English, so forgive me for being a little nerdy here for a minute, but in traditional literary criticism, where you would review and consider a piece of literature, the traditional view is to ask one question. What did the original author intend to say? You only cared about one thing, the original author's intent or message. But modern literary criticism asks this question, what does it mean to me? 
And so you might look at a classic work by Robert Frost, and in traditional criticism, you would ask, what was Robert or Mr. Frost trying to say in this poem? And then in modern literary criticism, you would ask, what does this mean to me? And it doesn't matter if the author never intended that or would never in his wildest dreams imagine that anyone would get that result from what he said. Now that's all well and good for literature, but this is dangerous when it comes to the Bible or scripture. There is no private interpretation of scripture. Only one thing matters. What did God intend to say as he communicated his message through his authors? For instance, I see this mistake all the time with the word blessing or blessed in the Bible. Most of us assume when we see the word blessing or blessed that God is talking about wealth and health. Why is that? Because that's what we want and we bring personal and cultural expectations and experiences to the word. We want wealth and health and so we read that into words that don't say anything about it. The biblical idea of blessing is always about enjoying and experiencing more of God. Getting to know God on a deeper level and getting to enjoy God on a deeper level. We want to experience and enjoy more health and wealth because those are our false gods. Those are the idols of America. And so we read that into the word uh, when it's not there. So I say all that to say this. We have to be very careful how we define the word abundance. We've talked about in the first session about the fact that there is an abundant life out there. And in the last session, we talked about how much the abundant life is going to cost us. But we have to be really careful before we talk about what we're going to talk about today that we're defining abundance correctly. Because if we get this wrong, we're going to miss the whole point of what God is trying to tell us today. Remember what we said last week that the abundant life is not a life without any problems, without any suffering. As we discussed last week, the abundant life is learning to live and love like Jesus. I believe that Jesus Christ lived the most abundant, most fulfilling, most complete human life of anyone who's ever lived and anyone who will ever live. So Jesus lived the best life, the most abundant life, but his life still had a cross in it. The abundant life is your life, it's my life, with your problems and with my problems, but a different us in the middle of those problems. Abundance comes as we change, not as our circumstances change. Remember what I said last week, that as abundance is enjoyed as we become disciples of Jesus, and we become disciples of Jesus as we learn to live and love like Jesus did. As we live and love like Jesus does, in community, we establish the kingdom of God, these small pockets of influence where God rules and reigns on this earth. Now, one of the ways that that begins to play out in our life is that abundance begins to redefine the worst aspects of our life. Abundance begins to redefine our pain and our suffering. And that's what we're looking at today. How abundance redefines the worst parts of our life. So as we unwrap this today, what we're gonna understand is that tragedy in this perspective becomes a tool to make me like Jesus and to expand the kingdom. So let's look in Romans chapter five, starting in verse one. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love 
has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So let's break down this passage a little bit and we'll talk about how abundance can shift our view on our suffering and change the worst aspects or redefine the worst aspects of our life. First of all, you notice in verse 1, he says, we have been justified by faith. Once again, the whole starting point to living and loving like Jesus Christ is accepting the free gift of salvation that he offers. It's crying out to Jesus and saying, I can't do it on my own. I can never be good enough. I can't handle this life. There's too much. I need you. Will you be my Lord and master? Will you teach me to live and love like you do? When that happens, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and Jesus Christ empowers us to actually live and love like he does. Remember, if you never have that moment where you surrender to Jesus Christ and ask him to come and be your master, then you'll never have the strength to live the life that he lived and to love the unlovable like he did. As a result of this, it says in verse 1 that we have peace with God. The result of having our relationship restored with Jesus Christ as our master is that we have peace with God. We'll never have peace with people until we have peace with God because we'll always be looking to people to fulfill what only God can fulfill in our lives. Many times our relationship with people becomes a barometer to our relationship with God. If you're in conflict with people, it's usually a sign that something's off in your relationship with God. But he goes on then and he talks about something very important to understand suffering. He says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. He talks about how our foundation that we stand upon is grace. We don't stand on our ability to resist sin or on our ability to perform or serve for God. We stand confident because of grace. Grace is undeserved good. God does good in your life and in my life, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because of who he is. Grace is believing that God's going to act in line with his character and with his love for us, not because we've earned his love, but because he is a God of love. If we don't stand in grace when suffering comes, we're going to assume that God is punishing us, God is torturing us, God is angry with us, maybe God just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. But if we understand our life is foundationally based on grace, this idea that God's always going to do good to me when I don't deserve it, then we can have a proper look at suffering. If we don't understand grace, or we don't stand upon grace as our foundation, when we suffer, we're going to assume that God is angry with us, that he's punishing us, and we're going to miss what he's trying to do through our suffering. Notice next that he says that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He's talking about here about a future hope. We rejoice in what is going to happen. Hope is believing that God is going to behave in the future in line with his character and with his love. Rejoicing in hope is celebrating what God will do in the future. It's being confident that God is going to be glorified no matter what happens in the future, even if we don't see how now. So it's one thing to be rejoicing in the future and what God's going to do in the future. But he says in verse 3 that we also rejoice in our sufferings. And this is where we're going to dig in and really pull some things out this morning. Rejoicing in suffering is celebrating what God is doing right now. It's one thing to rejoice and say God's going to take care of this in the future. It's another thing to rejoice right in the moment 
when everything isn't necessarily going well. Rejoicing in suffering is rejoicing in how God is using what is painful in our lives right now to teach us to live and love like Jesus Christ. The word suffering right here in the Greek has the idea of being put under intense pressure. Now, some of you right now are under emotional pressure. Maybe you're under a relationship pressure. Maybe you're under the pressure of a job, the pressure of a health condition, uh, monetary pressure. It's almost cliche at this point, but a diamond is turned into a diamond from worthless elements. Why? Because it's put under pressure. And the same thing happens to us when God allows pressure into our lives, whether that someone exercises their free will to do something harmful in our lives, or whether he allows something to enter into our life naturally. Pressure produces diamonds. Suffering produces disciples. If the abundant life is living and loving like Jesus, you will never experience an abundant life in a broken world without suffering. Notice the progression that Paul presents here. He says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, future hope. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, present day troubles, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. Some translations say patience or resilience. The idea is that you will be able after the suffering to keep doing what is right longer than you could before the suffering. The suffering is going to build and strengthen you to the point where you can live and love like Jesus longer because you endured the suffering. Now we understand this at the gym, right? We go in and the first day we can only lift 20 pounds and so we work out at 20 pounds and then our bodies rest and recover and we work out at 30 pounds and our bodies rest and recover and they get stronger each time and so we're building up until we can lift more and more and more weight. No one is born running a marathon, right? When you're born you can't even walk. You have to learn to walk and then you learn to run and even then you don't instantly run a marathon. What happens? You have to train if you want to run a marathon. So you keep adding more and more and more mileage as your body gets stronger and stronger and you gain more endurance. No one wakes up just one day and says, I'm going to run a marathon. They have to train. They have to prepare. Pain and sweat and training help prepare our body to run the distance. Suffering makes you emotionally and spiritually equipped to live and love like Jesus for greater lengths of time than you could before you suffered. But notice the next progression here. He says, endurance produces character. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. The original Greek word here for character has the idea of trustworthiness in secret. I've heard people say that character is what you do when no one is watching. I like to think of character as this, what would you do if you were absolutely certain you would never be caught and no one would ever know. That's a scary thought, right? Suffering makes you able to live and love like Jesus for longer periods of time. And the longer you live and love like Jesus, the more he begins to change the desires of your heart so that you aren't motivated by guilt, but by grace. A lot of times the church or pastors, we stand up and we talk about how you need to stop sinning. And the motivation many times is this guilt-based motivation that, oh, so-and-so is going to see you doing that. 
or so-and-so is going to have consequences because you get caught doing that. What Jesus wants to actually produce in us is that as we live and love like he does, he changes what we want in our hearts. So even if we were never caught and no one ever saw us, we would begin to do what he would do even if no one's watching, no one's praising us, no one's guilting us. Jesus wants to do more than behavior modification. He wants to do a soul renovation, changing your desires to match his own. And that all begins with suffering. And so not only does suffering produce endurance and it produces character, notice next that suffering produces hope. It says that character produces hope. So what does that mean? What hope? The hope that we might be like Jesus Christ. The more That more and more of our life would be lived and loved like him. So we suffer. As a result of suffering, we learn endurance. We learn how to live and love like Jesus more often and for longer periods of time than we did before. As a result of that, he begins to change the desires of our heart so that we naturally desire to do the things that he would do. And so that means that we're not motivated by guilt and even when people aren't watching or we aren't getting caught, we begin to do things like he would. And the end result of that is we're hopeful because we begin to see growth, spiritual growth in our life. We're hopeful that we are becoming and beginning to look and live like Jesus. And so this is what gets us excited. This is what we begin to rejoice in when suffering comes into our life. We say, this is painful. This situation is evil. This is wrong. But I can rejoice because I know out of this suffering, I'm going to end up looking more like Jesus. I'm going to see spiritual growth in my life as a result of that. And that is exciting. And notice what he says here about this hope. He says, this is a hope that does not put us to shame. Essentially, this is a hope that won't disappoint us. This is not a hope where we hope for something and it doesn't happen. You know, I remember when I was growing up in Tennessee, I would hope for snow because they will literally cancel school if it even has the threat of snow. If just a few flakes fall out of the sky, they're like, it's a blizzard. We've got to shut down the whole state. And so I would pray for snow so I wouldn't have to go to school. And I just love playing in the snow. But over and over again, it doesn't snow very often where I was at in Tennessee. And so I would hope for snow. There would be the threat of snow. I'd get so excited and my hopes would be disappointed. You know, there's nothing that hurts our heart more than a hope that doesn't come to pass. We've all felt this, right, in a relationship where we're dating someone and we hope that they might be the special someone who's going to maybe marry us or be in a relationship with us for a long time in a meaningful relationship. And then it, the relationship is broken up, you know, and we're so devastated. We feel that heartbreak because we had this hope and our expectation wasn't met. Proverbs 13, 12 says, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think we've all felt that heart sickness when we hope for something and it didn't happen. But what Paul is saying here is, this is a hope that will never make us heart sick because God has promised that out of suffering, he will always produce in us more Christ-likeness, more living and loving like Christ so that we become more like Christ, so our desires align with Christ more. And as a result, we enjoy more of the abundant life. Now notice how he ends this, because I think this is very curious. He says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. Kind of our assurance that God is going to bring about Christ-likeness in us, producing um, this desire to live and love like Christ inside of us, is the fact that he's given us the Holy Spirit when we said, Lord Jesus, be my master. I believe you died on the cross in my place for my sins to trade the worst part about me for the best part about you. And you send the Holy Spirit inside my life. In another part of scripture, it describes it as a seal or essentially a stamp that Jesus will do everything that he's promised because he's given us the Holy Spirit as a symbol that he keeps his promises. And it says here that God's poured out his love into our hearts. And he does this so that that love can overflow from our heart into other hearts. So let's go back and track the progression here. Suffering teaches us to live and love like Jesus more consistently in our lives, which fundamentally begins to change the desires of our heart, which changes our behavior even when no one is watching. Why? So that we can live the abundant life and God always blesses an individual in order to bless a people. And so he pours his love into our life, makes us more like Jesus Christ, not just for our own good, but so that we can impact other people. You know, suffering can only be endured in community. Everyone endures suffering, but suffering that's endured alone is insufferable. We cannot handle it on our own. Suffering results in abundance but abundance is made to be shared back into the community back into the community that helped you survive the suffering if abundance is learning to live and love like jesus it reframes the worst moments of our life into lessons it changes our tragedy into discipleship it it changes our tragedy into training and this is why as christians as followers of jesus christ Christ, we can rejoice in suffering because the suffering serves a purpose. Voltaire said, any pain can be endured if it has a purpose. And so we don't say, oh Lord, thank you for this cancer. This cancer is good. No, cancer is still evil. Death is still evil. You know, violence, these things that come into our life are still evil, but we rejoice that God is going to bring good out of the evil. We serve a God who never wastes pain. Every pain in the life of a follower of Jesus is to teach them to live and love like Jesus more often so that their desires might be fundamentally changed so that they no longer take action based on who's watching or what people might say, but they take action based on what Jesus Christ would do because their hearts have been fundamentally realigned with his, so they want what Jesus would do. It's not just asking WWJD, what would Jesus do? You want what Jesus would would want. Now, like I said, this doesn't change the fact that there's evil in the world, death and cancer and violence. It just reaffirms that our God is so good that he can use evil to produce good in us. He uses the very thing, suffering, that we think would rob our life of abundance to teach us how to live in abundance. Think about that for a minute. How good is our God that he takes suffering, the very idea of which is a robbing of joy and he uses it to put into our lives a deeper joy because through it he makes us live and love and look more like Jesus. So what can we take away from this radical upside down countercultural view of suffering that can serve us for good? Now some Christ followers in the dark ages they took this to the extreme and they said okay if suffering makes me more like Jesus Christ 
I need to suffer more. And so they would lay outside in the middle of winter without any clothes on. They would beat themselves with rods. They would starve themselves. They would try to force themselves to go through suffering. If suffering leads to living and loving like Jesus, shouldn't we make ourselves suffer more? No, absolutely not. First of all, there's plenty of suffering in our world as it is. You don't have to try to bring more suffering into your life. It's naturally going to come. You don't have to go looking for it. And this violates the basic premise that God brings certain suffering into our life, not by accident, but by design in order to produce Christ-likeness in us. So we trust that God's going to bring the right suffering at the right time to train us. If you go to a gym, a good trainer is going to know when you should work out and when you should rest, when you should hit the heavy weights and when you should back off for a little bit. God is our trainer, and he knows when to bring suffering in and when to give us time to rest and our muscles, spiritual muscles, to essentially regrow and rest. We cannot inflict or self-inflict suffering to increase our rate of spiritual growth. Life is full of plenty of suffering on your own, so that's not our application for today. So what is the application as we take away from this? First of all, I think if you are suffering, rejoice in what God is doing through your suffering. And sometimes this is extremely hard. In fact, I can't ever think of a time when it's not hard. But it starts with saying, God, I hate the situation I'm in. I hate this bill I can't pay. I hate this stress that's pushing me down. I hate this relationship conflict that I'm in. I hate this work situation. I hate this health situation. I hate this cancer, whatever it is. And you say, but God, I believe that because of your word and what you promised and how much you love me, that you are going to make me live and love more like Jesus because I went through this. You're going to change the desires of my heart so they more align with what you want through this. And as a result, I'm going to be able to pour out the love that you poured into my life out into other lives as a result. So start with rejoicing in what God is doing through what should be a painful, unpleasant, unhappy situation. Rejoice in what God is doing good through it. Number two, are you past suffering? Acknowledge what you've learned. Sometimes when we get past something that was painful, we never want to think about it ever again. But I think if we're honest, the most defining moments in our lives are usually not the most pleasant moments, but they're the most painful moments. The moments that have brought me here so that I'm preaching and sharing the Bible with you have not been always pleasant moments. Sometimes the most defining, life-defining moments for me, the, most, the moments that have made me most like Jesus Christ, that have taught me to live and love like him, have been some of the most painful moments of my life. So you don't have to go back to every moment, but would you take one moment maybe in your past where you say that was painful and I hated it and I wish I didn't have to go through it, but Lord, I acknowledge that going through that, that taught me to become more like you and to desire what you would desire. And then finally, do you see someone suffering? Our usual tendency as humans is if we see suffering, we say, well, praying for you. And we try to stay as far back as we can because we don't want to get caught up in that pain. Join people in their suffering. Number one, they need community if they're going to survive and thrive in the midst of their suffering. But number two, you can learn a lot from someone else's suffering when you enter into it alongside them. Do you know someone who's under financial pressure, under relational pressure, under you know, some kind of stress or pressure in their life, 
How can you come alongside them and not just say, hey, praying for you, good thoughts, send in your way, you know, shooting them a Facebook message, but how can you enter into their life and their suffering alongside them and say, hey, I want to be your community in the midst of this suffering because you need it and I need to learn. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are so good. You can take the worst parts of our life and produce good out of them. The abundant life is living and loving like you did because you've had and lived the most abundant life on this planet. And Lord, your life had a cross in it. Your life had a lot of rejection in it. But Lord, we pray that you will help us to rejoice in the worst moments of our lives. The ones in the past that we can look back and say, God brought me through those and God made me more like him through them. And those that were in the midst of, Lord, I pray that you will give us strength and you will make us a community that gather around each other so that we don't have to endure suffering alone. And Lord, I pray that you will show us clearly where you are making us like yourself through suffering. Show us where we are beginning to live and love more like you because you allow us to endure unpleasant things. Show us how we are beginning to change in our basic character because our desires are changing as we live and love like you as a result of suffering. And God, give us opportunities to pour out that love to others. If we know someone who's suffering, Lord, forgive us for so often trying to stay at arm's length so that we don't have to suffer too. But Lord, let us jump in and join those who are weeping, those who are hurting, so that we can encourage them and be their community in suffering, but also so that we can learn to live and love more like you as a result. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
136, 1 through 4, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to God of God. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. His faithful love endures forever. He alone does great wonders. His faithful love endures forever.
so much for worshiping the Lord with us. If you would like to give, you can do so online at horizonphilly.com backslash give. A few dates we have coming up. October 29th, we'll have another live service at the Ardmore Music Hall, and I hope to see you there. November 12th, we're going to help out and have another serve day at Villanova Special Olympics. You can sign up through our website at horizonphilly.com. Also, every Monday and Tuesday night, we have small groups, and I hope that you'll join us for one of those. Coming up, a new small group will be added on how to manage our money better. If that's something that interests you, you can reach out to us through our website, and I hope you have a great week.